Welcome to GM Mastermind, a tabletop RPG podcast that features a panel of game masters known as the Brain Trust. In this episode, we will be discussing what can game masters do to get better at game mastering. Introducing the Brain Trust for this episode. Angela Murray. She's been a game master for over 15 years. Some of her go-to RPGs include Dungeons and Dragons, Tales from the Loop, powered by the Apocalypse games to include Masks, Monsters of the Week, Uncharted Worlds, and many more. She's currently playing 5th edition Uncharted Worlds, Star Trek Adventures, and Part-Time Gods, all at the same time. She's a staff member and podcast host at GnomeStew.com. Harrigan, an online RPG community moderator, play-by-post aficionado, and GM for over 30 years. He's been behind the GM screen for games like Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, GURPS, and Fate. He's presently GMing more Neo-OSR and Year Zero Engine-powered games to include Forbidden Lands. Mirko, known as Digital Hobbit, he has game mastered on and off for 17 years after having a break for 16. The depth of his GMing is in D&D 5th Edition, Dungeon Crawl Classics, and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Currently, he's running Warlock and playing Fallout. And I'm your host of the show, Sean. Having a 15-year break from RPGs, I've been GMing on and off since 2003. Some of my favorite RPGs to GM include Delta Green, Forbidden Lands, and Fantasy Flight Game Star Wars. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, fantastic. Welcome, guys. Hey, Sean. Hey there. <laughs> Thanks for... Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, very excited to have everybody on uh, the the episode. As we were referring to a little uh, during the intro, we here at the GM Mastermind, it's an effort to improve Game Master's craft in some way, shape, or form. So it's really kind of targeting Game Master's in the tabletop role-playing game space. And we bring on the Brain Trust, these all four of us, to talk about whatever the topic du jour is. And in this case, it's really about, you know, when I proposed what the topic was, everybody said, well, maybe we come with three, four, five different things that game masters can do or outside resources that they can tap into um, that improve their craft. And so hopefully with Ange and Mirko and Harrigan and myself, we have some dialogue around that specific space, given their background experience and tenure. So I want to start out with Ange. I'll put you on the spot, Ange, because you're up in the, <laughs> you're up in the upper left quadrant. I said, look at well, you. If I'm not doing my job, if I don't recommend people who want to improve their craft, go to Gnome Stew. It's like, it's a blog about game mastering. We have so many articles talking about how to do game mastering. Um, ultimately, though, I think you got to do it. It's like, you, it, it's, you really have to bring it to the table. Any ideas you want to try or do, you have to actually put them at the table. It's great to think about them. It's great to talk about them. But until you actually bring them to the table... You know, it's all just theory. So with the mention of Gnome Stew, that's basically, that's it, you're done, right? That's, 
Mic drop. <laughs> and just done. Yeah. Well, like like I said, you know, I'm 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 an author on Gnome Stew. I'm in charge of Gnome Stew. I I really I really gotta mention Gnome Stew because there's so many game mastering articles there. It's it's good stuff. I highly recommend it. And then I've got my own stuff that I do to improve my gaming. But I gotta I gotta talk about that one first. You know, you mentioned just doing it is a, a huge piece of it, which is like a golf swing. I don't know if Mirko, do you golf? No, never tried it. Arrogant. Mini golf. I've, I've done that once or twice. Arrogant, have you golfed? <laughs> I have golfed. I uh, I purposefully now do not golf, but yes, I've golfed. My understanding is when you go and get a golf instructor, the first thing they ask you is how often do you golf? And if you say, well, I golf every once in a while, they say, okay, first tip, golf more. That's the first thing they, that they tell you yeah. to do. Reps. Yeah. Um, but it's a good point on starting out versus somebody that's been doing it for a little while, right? Mirko, mm -hmm. what, what about, what would you say is the number one thing that a game master can do or seek out to improve their craft in your opinion? Yeah, I mean... My number one was actually pretty similar to, to what Ange said. Well, actually, it wasn't Gnome Stew, <laughs> uh, although I, I would agree with that. It's a good resource. Um, honestly, mainly, I would say don't sweat it. Uh, it's There's so much stuff out there now. Right? There's podcasts, YouTube videos, uh, books about how to be a better GM. There's so much that it's easy to just feel imposter syndrome right? and think, oh, I got to get through all this stuff before I'm even qualified to run a game. Uh, so don't do that. Just, you know, go out there, pick a game, run it, right? That's that's the only way to get better in the end. So mostly agree on that. Point. I will say, if you are a new GM, like you're just getting your foot in the water to try, play with people you trust. Um, don't play with strangers. Play with people you know and trust who can be there to support you as you figure this out. Um, this isn't to say you can't go to your friendly local game store just offer to run a game but you're going to a feel more comfortable with your friends and b probably get better feedback more constructive feedback from your friends if you start out playing with them running for them first yeah because i honestly never would have started running if i hadn't had one of my friends just be persistent about okay when are you going to run a game when, when, what do you mean you can't run a game? Of course you can run a game. You're a good player. You can run a game. When are you going to run a game? Encouragement enthusiasm certainly plays a role. But what about what about some of us that got into game mastering, Harrigan, and witnessed the terribleness of a bad <laughs> game master and said, I've been in this group for like three sessions, maybe more. And I definitely know that this is not the way to roll. Have you experienced that? Well, that's a nice, I think it ties back to something Ange just mentioned and mentioned at the top, which is um, reps and playing, right? And I think that if you're going to GM for the first time, yes, going with your friends or with a group that you know is a great idea. But I also think... Um, getting a wide variety of experiences of styles of games, including those terrible ones is pretty important. And I, I think Sean, one thing you might want to do kind of to bifurcate this at the top of the, the top of the session is, are we talking about brand new GMs 
Are we talking about people who have been GMing for years and who are like looking to improve their craft? And one thing I think we found on your, you know, your prior show is there's a lot of folks who are like the forever GM and they never get a chance to play. And so I I took a, I think you know this, a giant break uh, from live play. I still played play by post, which is, you know, one of of my true loves for RPGs for more than 20 years. Um, And when I decided in 2019, I'm going to get back into the live version of this. I'm going to go to cons. I'm going to get online and play. Uh, I had some serious anxiety about running games again suddenly, even though I had been GMing, you know, I was the forever GM in the 80s and 90s, and I was the forever GM in all the play-by-post games, but I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna get back in front of tables where people are running Powered by the Apocalypse games and, you know, all kinds of stuff that I don't have a lot of experience in. So I very purposely went to three different cons and targeted a whole bunch of games that were, like, way outside my comfort zone, um, including Good Society, which is like a diceless Powered by the Apocalypse, Jane Austen game. So I was like, I don't know why I'm playing this, but here I go. And I learned all kinds of things from that session. So I think that kind of the powers of observation, seeing and taking notes afterwards, kind of breaking down the sessions you were in. I really liked how this person did that. And I'm not not such a fan of, of this style of game and that sort of thing. So I think there's something to learn from those, those you know, tough experiences, especially for the GMs who never play where they've just run their own thing forever but you know they get got to get on the other side of the table and see some things that are that are different I, I think it's a bit of a different thing for someone who's brand new to the game um and brand new to the to the to gming and they don't they haven't even played very much there's some some different things they can do that are more foundational like what angie Marco talked about which is basically blogs videos on youtube and podcasts right consume as much of that content as you can um, but I think playing is like the number one thing that I actually listed. Get mm-hmm. those reps on either side of the table. I will say I, I tend to be wary of forever GMs because I have had so <laughs> many experiences with the forever GM who says, oh, yeah, I, I don't like playing. I prefer GMing. And they're 75, 80% of the time, just really bad GMs because <laughs> they, they forget what it's like to be on the, and, and this is the other important aspect of get out there and play. You remember what it's like to be the player on the other side of the table because you really, as a GM, need to remember you're, you're here giving this experience to your players, you know, so what, what is, what does it look like on their side of the table? Totally, totally agree. Um, Sean, I think you know this as well. I, I think I played two sessions of AD&D back in 1983 and then GM'd forever from there, right? I was like, nope, I'm going to get the books. I'm going to run this damn stuff. And I, I ran virtually every game I played in. But uh, Ange, now I think I'm 50-50. Like fully, mm-hmm. I run about half the games and I maybe even play more than half these days. It's, it's yeah, it, it makes you much more well-rounded for sure. Yeah. And and th- there there is a point of there are a couple of people that I have known in my my gaming life, especially since I spent a lot of time the last decade, not the last two years, but the last decade going to co- to conventions and stuff. Is there's a couple of people who don't understand that they could be better game masters because they believe they're awesome and don't need to improve, and it, it's don't 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 be that person. <laughs> Everyone has room for improvement. There's there's constantly new things happening in the hobby, in games, in the way games are designed, in the way games are run. Be open to new ideas. 
you know, don't be, don't be stuck in the way you've always done it because it's always worked. Marco, I know one you... guy who, oh, go who, ahead, Ange. He's, he's this one guy, fantastic GM for new players. Like he will make you feel awesome. Make you feel like that world is fantastic and really cool. The more you play with him, the more you realize it's a railroad. What you do doesn't matter. He's just a good storyteller. And so you watch his his circle of gamers slowly keep cycling. But because he's always getting good feedback from these new players who are just absolutely wowed by his games, he hasn't really changed in the decade and a half that I've known him. Marco, have you... You consider yourself a forever GM? No, I wouldn't say so. I, I think it's been always roughly 50-50 for me. I mean, b- both when I first started playing, it was mostly a couple friends and myself taking turns. And I had my systems that I would run. So I was the only one running Warhammer Fantasy. I was the one running Cult, uh, Paranoia for a while, right? stuff like that. And then a friend was running RuneQuest and somebody else was running maybe some D&D and so on. Um, but we would always take turns. Uh, and it's been pretty similar since since I got back into, into gaming. I mean, um, yeah, roughly 50-50. I honestly think I enjoy GMing more. Um, I, I, I like both. I, and, and I totally agree with Ange. I think it's super important that you also continue to play. And, uh, you know, otherwise you kind of get stuck in that forever GM role. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love both. But I think I, I generally, you know, get more out of GMing than I do out of playing. Yeah. Not being a forever GM and and playing, taking the player's seat, you know, even that 50, 50, what do you think you've learned through being a player that game masters can, because that's, that's not something I overly considered when, you know, podcasts, videos, streaming, like, I think those are just the, the low hanging fruit nowadays. But saying, well, you should really be a player to become a better game master. You know, is there an example that you've encountered where that you've learned something from being a player that's like that really hit home for you to be a better game master? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I w- probably a couple of things um let's see a couple of con games come to mind right I, I often go to cons uh and mostly to play a lot of games that i don't otherwise get a chance to play um my main for example my, my home group was mostly playing D D, um and so i would try out you know some fate games or savage worlds or uh just different systems right and uh and but oftentimes those gms were also really good at certain things maybe it was improv right yeah, kind of seeing how they can actually manage to run something without having a lot prepped, doing some world building at the table and then just kind of running a fun session with that. Or maybe others were really good at getting the getting the players and the characters to kind of gel, right? Uh, I mean, um, you know, doing the whole, like, the fate, what do they call it? The, the fate triangle, is that what they call it? In traditional fate core, where you sort of, the characters all have some, uh, you know, connections to each other and, and things like that. And so those are some examples maybe of things that, that I've observed and, and maybe was able to take, you know, some of those into, into my own games. The trio. Trio, that's what it is. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Harrigan? Anything stick out in your mind from being a player? 
Well, I'll give you I'll give you like a, a rundown of a multiple multitude of things, but there's where is one moment in one of the first games that I played when I started playing live again. So I think you can learn like good 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 and bad habits around pacing, right? When the game's dragging, when the game's going too fast and people are lost, spotlighting, making sure that everyone has enough camera time or spotlight time and they're able to, you know, and, and you also have to pay attention if, if some of the players are not wanting the spotlight as much as others. There's lots of different types of players who get different things out of the game, right? Um, people who are like have significant system mastery can really be a great GM because they can they can help smooth wrinkles when the players don't know the mechanics. Um, they can bring great goodies to the table in terms of how they set up and prep and all the all the, the cool table table side stuff. Uh, but the thing that sticks in my mind um, is sort of like the GM having that awareness of what's going on at the table and how his players are feeling. So I was in the Shadow of a Demon Lord game, and I'm sitting there, and it's like my my first game in like 20-some years, right, live. And uh, I've read the book, and I think I know the mechanics pretty well. And I've got a whole bunch of 5e players with me who are all ranting at me every time that I don't add my strength modifier to damage. And I'm like, guys, I, I, don't, I don't think you do in this game. <laughs> and they were just shouting me down, basically saying, yeah, you do. You always add strength damage to, to your bonus. Well, of course you don't. But the that game had a specific player next to me who was giving me all sorts all sorts of advice about how to play my character because I was not playing optimally. I was not <laughs> I, I was role playing the damn clockwork that, that I had that I had on my sheet right. So and the GM didn't say a word. So I, you know I, I'm a you know a, you know and Mirko knows um, I, I can speak for myself right. So I did and was like no I'm good dude <laughs> you know let me play my character kind of thing. But yeah, there's thanks, Marco. There's lots of people, <laughs> lots of people who would not be as like they wouldn't stand up and and have as much of a backbone if they're a new player type of thing. So the GM has to watch out for that. So I think that <laughs> table management, the, the the if you're a player, you can watch people who have good and bad table management practices as well. There's just tons to take away from that. I had a game. I was I, it was a Knights Black Agent game. I was running at a con, and I missed that one of the players was steamrolling all of the other players. That happens. I, I had one, I had, I had a kid. I had, he was a college age kid, but I had a kid next to me who wasn't paying attention, was being kind of uh, just annoying just by the nature of his being. Over, so overzealous, I was, Ange, maybe? No, he actually wasn't overzealous. He was basically distracted and disruptive. Oh, okay. Um, so it's like just it wasn't anything like specific or active that he was doing, but there was one point where he he asked a question, and I described the scene and gave him the answer of the question he asked, and he had already gone back to his phone, and then he's like, "Oh, what about blah blah blah?" and asked this question again, and I just had to like. I am talking to you with my mouth in my face. Can you please listen to me? And as a result of that player kind of giving me distractions, I missed this one player who was annoying the heck out of the other players at the table. Because oh, no. he was he was acting like he was the take charge, commanding leader of the group. And I just, I, I still keep thinking about that particular game because I missed it. I missed that that was happening and it was making the game less fun for the other people at the table who were actually contributing. Like one person finally gave up suggesting ideas because if she suggested an idea, he would steal it. 
And, you know, like as a GM, you know, having those bad games really hurts, but you can learn a lot from them on how to not do that again in the future. Yeah. I think uh, we should stipulate just because we've got some years of game mastering under our belts. Uh, it, it hasn't been without pain and continuing, you know, to, to maybe miss something in a game or, you know, miss something at a, with a player at a convention that we're running. Uh, it's hard. I find it. It's e- Let me rephrase it. It's very easy to slide into some of my comfort levels, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be adverse to conflict, right? Like we don't want to, Hey, knock it off or, you know, Mer- Merkel raises his hand. Merkel just says, put his hand up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, that's, we say Midwestern nice. I don't know if that's always true, but, uh, you know, or Canadian nice. It's, it can be difficult, but Harrigan has, nope. has come from Canada. Uh, I'm from New York. Leave that. me out of this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it could be, it could be a challenge to take those things and then, I should say, you know, we're not perfect by any means and we still have areas to grow in. But even at the beginning of the the show and you were talking about some people being forever game masters saying, hey, I got this. This is my game. This is the way I run it all the time. Never had any problems, but still not being uh, self-aware enough. Right. Right. To self-reflect. Um, and I think that's a a big thing. Um, so, you know, again, podcasting, YouTube, blah, 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 books. But being a player and then also being humble enough to look in the mirror and say, I still got a ways to go or there's other things that I can incorporate. And I think that's probably, I mean, I don't know. Some, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Some of those game masters can play and run a game for 30 years and be the best game master out there. They maybe do it at a convention all the time. My co-host, best game, ma- my my prior co-host, best game master ever. I mean, I'll I'll admit, I whenever I'm in a con that Brett is at, I'm going to play one of his games. He it's- gets he gets a lot of uh, reviews, you know, that are, are in the positive space. Yeah. For sure. I will I will give Brett this compliment. I will play Call of Cthulhu if Brett is running. <laughs> well, and he, that's one of his go-tos, right? Yeah. I think that's also another another thing, right? Is like maybe it's not the resource necessarily, but the familiarity with the game system. And I think Harrigan, you mentioned a little bit with game system mastery or or might have been Merco, um, and how that plays a role with I mean, there's some people that just play insert game here for a particular reason, right? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I think I'm actually the opposite. Most of the time when I run a game these days, it's it's a game that I've actually never played before and, and, and I'm running it and just kind of learning it that way, right? And I mean, I had that with Warlock recently, which somehow just resonated with me and, and I got excited and read the books and ran the game. And, and I have it right now actually with... with uh, uh, what's it called? Broken Compass. I, I'm reading through the books right now, and something in there really, um, yeah, really resonates with me as well. So I'm I'm already excited about running that. Never never played a game, right? And 
So somehow that that tends to be my mode. <laughs> uh, and over time, you get a little bit better. I mean, I've run enough DCC at this point that I'm that I like to say I've to say I have some system mastery, although it's it's a fairly simple system. But in general, that's never been my my forte. I think system mastery of, of any game. I mean, I ran a D and D five E campaign recently, and I always had to rely on the players for a lot of the special rules about you know what's the cover modifier in this situation or that. I, I, I don't tend to remember those things. I think it's important to, like, if you are a GM, it is important to always be getting better at your craft. So if you have a particular game that you are consistently running, it's important to make sure you are getting better at running that game and the system mastery of that game. But the one thing I learned fairly early on is, like, and, and this is what prevented me from gaming, uh, for GMing, the many years before I started GMing that I was just a player is, oh, I can't possibly run a game. I don't, I don't know the game well enough. The players would eat me alive. I don't know the rules that well. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And it's, it's, it's so much BS because most of the time the players aren't that, you know, unless you have some rules lawyers at your table, your players aren't going to be that obnoxious to you. They just want to play. They're going to be a lot more forgiving than most people realize. And there is that, hey, I'm just running this game for the first time, or this is my only second time running this game. We're still figuring the rules out. Let's go. You know, it's 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 important to like keep getting better, but also don't stop yourself from trying new things just because you don't have absolute mastery of the system yet. I've seen some really cool stuff recently. Uh, not I don't have personal experience with it, but... Um whether it's Twitter or Reddit or where, wherever with new GMs having like an assistant GM helping them. And mainly it's with like rules and just kind of support. And I've even seen, you know, God, God help us for rules lawyers, but they can be powers for good in these sort of situations when you kind of task them with, you're the person who has to look up or be aware of what the, you know, chase or grappling or whatever, whatever rules are. Oh yeah. I, I love players at my table who are better at the game than I am. Because I can just turn to them. How does this rule work again? What am I supposed to do for this thing again? And like, usually they're, they're, you know, like most of the people I play with aren't going to be the type of rules lawyer that ruins the game for everyone else. I have had a few of those in my past where they're basically manipulating the rules only to help themselves. But that's a different story. We, Sean can have a different episode talking about how to <laughs> handle problem players. players. Yeah, I think that's on the list, probably. If not, it should be anyway. Yeah. Sean, do you, do you mind if I talk a little bit about By system mastery? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, because I could, my, my gaming quote unquote career has kind of revolved around that in some ways. And I, I, I figure out now that the, um, the profile you had us fill out at the front of the show is wildly inaccurate for the gamer that I am right now. You mentioned me being an AD&D and GURPS player. <laughs> you know, AD&D stopped in like 1988 and GURPS stopped sometime in the 90s for me. But I will say that, you know, I I played few games throughout most of, most of that time and got to know them really well and really liked the fact that I could have an encyclopedic knowledge of hero and champions at the table and GURPS and, you know, name the game, Call of Cthulhu, whatever. And that extended into Fate when I was like, wow, Fate is so flexible. I can run Fate for absolutely any genre ever, right? And I did that for about five years. And then I don't know what the break point was, but at some point I was like, look at all these other cool small press and indie games. Look at the mechanics. Look what they're doing. And I kind of rejected the notion of deeply understanding a single game and applying it. 
and did what Marco just mentioned, which is become more of a game tourist and figure out, I want all the experiences. I want to, I want to learn from all these different perspectives on what's important in the game itself and what's the genre they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, reflect and all that sort of stuff. And only recently am I kind of coming out of that phase now to wanting a little bit more crunch again in my games where I'm like, maybe I want a little bit more mechanical depth to model something specific, but it's been, it's been an interesting sort of journey around that stuff where I, I greatly value system mastery, but I, I think it kind of bleeds into the next, next thing I wanted to mention, which is identifying what you want to improve. Right. So if you're a brand new GM, it's overwhelming because you're like, I need to know all the things. I don't know where to start, right? But if you're in that mode where you're like, I think I got this, I got some sessions under my belt, but I had a group break up or a session didn't go well or the campaign ended early, I think having that sort of introspection around what could I have done differently and not just feeling bad about it, but seek out games that like tackle that head on, play in some sessions where you think people are going to have to deal with those things that you're struggling with. So I think making it more directed is a way to, to really kind of up your game, you know? Yeah. Uh, probably about a decade ago at this point, I had had a couple of campaigns go belly up. Basically things weren't going quite the way I expected. And I flaked, I flaked on my players and just, you know, stopped, you know, stopped running the game. And, you know, they were all cool. They were, they, they still talk about that one campaign today with some of the moments from that game, loving it. And I'm just like, but I was so bad as a GM for that campaign. But those experiences of having those campaigns just go belly up so dramatically in my head um, made me want to focus on trying to do a campaign more consistently, more thoroughly. And I made a switch to running, uh, at the time, I think it was Pathfinder. I, I started running a basically an Eberron campaign in Pathfinder and very specifically set my goals of, I am going to set this campaign up like a true old school GM and like, like make myself adhere to certain things so I don't reach the point where I don't know how to handle something and just flake out on my players again. Because that's one of the things I had to deal with a lot in the 90s was a GM who would start a campaign, we would all be loving it, and then something would happen and he would just drop the campaign and come back two months later wanting to run something else. So it's like I like very specifically knew I didn't want to be that GM. So it's like I focused on fixing that part of my GMing skills. And I think there are ways to reconcile those two uh, as well. Right? I, I personally, I enjoy a mix of you know long campaigns, right? Pl playing for like a year, uh, same system, coming to some epic conclusion at the end. Uh, that can be awesome, right? And but but also sometimes like having a one shot or a, a couple sessions of a game and really getting to experience all those things out there. And it doesn't always have to be the same group either, right? So for example, one thing I would recommend is if, if you have a a home group that you're playing with, you know, weekly, bi-weekly or whatever, uh, but you're interested in, you know, trying out a bit more than, than maybe they're into or, or, or the one game that, that you're running right now, you know, f find another group. Uh, you know, there's so many communities out there, right? Find a nice Discord server. Uh, there's, uh, find, you can find games on Roll20 or different places and, uh, you know, get into a group, right, with rotating GMs or something like that where, where you get to experience a lot of different games, both as a player and as a GM. I, I found that to be, like, really, really helpful in, in my own sort of 
growth as a as, as a GM. You know, corporate America can has some parallels sometimes, even though we mix that up with adulting, right? That's we don't want that, right? We we play role playing games to escape and get away from the day job. But what about mentorship? Has anybody considered mentorship? I don't, you know, I think we do it maybe in an informal way. Maybe there's another game master at the table. They're taking on the player role and they're helping out with the rules, maybe giving some feedback. But, you know, has anybody explored like, I know you've gamed a while, you know, I've gamed a while as well. However, maybe this game isn't my you know, I really want to take it to another level, but I need somebody that's going to be kind of my partner in that and in, in helping me. Has anybody even considered that? I actually just that? wrote an article about this on Gnomes Did you really, Ange? I did. Oh, oh my God. Most recent article Second was GM mentoring. Second plug. I got to edit that and go, you know, Ange, you just, I think you just wrote an article on Gnome Stew covering that, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think mentoring is a huge, hugely valuable thing that you can do when you are a GM, whether you're starting out your mid-level experienced or pretty heavily experienced. I have an, I've had an experience where I have a friend who is running a campaign in a game I'm not part of, and he just needed somebody. He was like, he GM'd before, but not a lot, mostly player, probably one of those folks who's probably like 15% GM, 85% player. Um, and he just needed somebody to bounce his ideas off of and offer, you know, question, you know, like answer questions about things he was trying to deal with and how to best like insert an idea for an NPC or something. So we would have these, you know, sessions where we just get on Google Meets for an hour or two and talk about his campaign and work out some of the plot threads and, you know, how to handle different players, how to handle different ideas. Maybe think like he had, uh, he had four players and he had ideas for like three of them, but not the fourth one. And he's like, help me come up with some ideas for this player. Um, I've also um, very regularly, like when I am, Actually, I should say Jared is probably my my GM mentor right now with my Eberron campaign because I'm constantly going to him, how does this sound to you? What about if I did this for the campaign? And he'll offer some feedback or offer some ideas. Like one of the things I wanted to do is have a section where they had to kind of complete these skill challenges as part of a trial. Um, and he was like, well, what if you also added in they can use uh, tool proficiencies? You know, and I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. I didn't think about that. Having somebody you can go to to talk about these ideas that is not a player in your game. It's great to talk about the game with your players after the game is done, but don't use one of your players as that resource because it, it did, you know, they'd probably be perfectly willing, but it would spoil some of the fun for them, so... Yeah, and you're referring to Jared Rasher, I'm guessing? Yes, Jared yes. Rasher. From what do I know, uh, jr.com. This is yes. blog. Also Gnome Stew. And <laughs> Gnome Stew, yes. So. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I, I never thought about it as, as mentoring. Uh, and actually, I do do a lot of mentoring at work, so it's funny you mentioned that. It's your, but, it's uh, your job, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah. But, um, um, but, but, 
you know, for me, like it is really important, and I really enjoy engaging with with the larger RPG community, right? I mean, that that's why we're chatting here, right? There's great, uh, you know, Discord servers, places like that where you can really engage with other gamers. And uh, and again, I, I didn't think of it as active mentoring, but there's a lot of discussions going on about, hey, how would you handle this type of situation? Hey, I'm, you know, prepping a game and I have this situation. How would you, like, what, what would you do here? And and so on. And it, it is a form of mentoring, right? And um, that can be on, you know, with, with a community like that on Discord. It can be uh, participating in, you know, in, in threads on Reddit and and other social media, um, but I think it's a, that's that's another great way to up your game. <laughs> I think that is a. Um, I had that written down at the top of the show, Sean, to talk about, which is the community part of this, which is starts with Usenet and bulletin boards, and it goes to RPG.net, the Forge, G Plus, Reddit, Discord, hugely impactful i think on new players and existing players your your gaming and bs discord is phenomenal for that stuff where people start threads to dive in deep on a specific subject we've had breakout video sessions with a single gm where four or five more gms gather around and are like tell us what you're having trouble with or bounce your ideas off off of us just like Ange was talking about with jared exactly the same thing um and frankly it it doesn't even have to be a mentoring, you know, an apprenticeship type relationship. Eventually, it becomes more of a think tank. So you've got all sorts of folks who are just bouncing ideas around, type of thing. I, I, you know, I, I think it's one of the most important things that that are out there right now with the way the internet works is this connectivity you can get with people who are not in your in your hometown. I mean, one of the reasons I didn't play live for twenty years is because I I, I travel all the time for work. I didn't want to play in game stores with strangers, so I had no other avenue. It's why it, it's what drove me to play by post. And, and on that front, uh, there's two places that I play currently, right? Tavern Keeper and Gamers Plane. Gamers Plane has a formal mentoring program. So they have threads set up for who wants to learn what game and who will help you. And there's like a matchmaker who will say, this person's trying to learn this game, and they'll kind of connect them together. So it's one community that I've seen that really takes that part of it really seriously. Because as you can imagine, um, a lot of role players come to play by post a little a little uh, timid around uh, what is this format? How does it work? Uh, I don't want to do anything wrong. The same way we're, we're talking about GMs kind of putting their toe in the water. So they've got serious like um, trepidation around how to start. So there's a lot of effort put into getting their feet up, getting their feet underneath them, understanding they can make mistakes and it's okay and just all that kind of stuff as well. So they, they do a really good job there with that. That's really awesome. That is awesome. It's a it's it's another avenue of running games that and Harrigan has been a guest on a on a video that's covered play by post that did a really thorough job. And it's okay, you got game mastering down. Now you convert that to play by post and it's a whole other ball game and and the fact that those channels got mentors to help you navigate that is I mean, really important, I think. Yeah. So you know why I think it's really important, too? It's because if you're coming at this from a traditional games, a trad game standpoint, many of those games are really bad at teaching the game master how to game master. Mm-hmm. There's way more mechanics for combat and for travel and for healing and all that sort of stuff than 
you know, one of the things that story games and, you know, all of the sort of the modern uh, take on all the small press stuff and indie stuff is a lot of them give the GMs way more structure and way more mechanics and tools to lean on. So we're not starting off in a vacuum like, you know, if the players have made their characters uh, go. <laughs> the GM's like, um, right. Like look at blaze in the dark. There are so many mechanics that are just all set up to like phase the play and wire it all together. So the GM is following kind of a flow chart in some ways. And that might not be to everybody's style, but it damn well teaches the GM how to run the game. Yeah. You know, it really does. That makes sense. Um, uh, along those lines, uh, you know, I, I would add when I'm learning a new system in particular, uh, I mean, there's reading the actual book, right? But I really like to immerse myself in in the game. And I, I go out and, you know, read all the blog posts, find podcasts that, that cover that topic, you know, watch YouTube videos. If they have a Discord server, I'll join the Discord server and see what are people chatting about, right? What 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 kind of things do people get hung up on? Um, I, I as I read it, I might come up with my own rules questions that I'll ask, but I find that I get a good feel about you know the 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 game that way that I wouldn't get from from just reading the book or even even playing with somebody. And, uh, so that's another way to sort of complement, I guess, um, that. Jason Cordova. If, you, if you're not familiar with Jason, he's done Brindlewood Bay and a few other things, and he's the co-host of Fear of a Black Dragon. He did an interview with Craig Shipman. I, I'm tired of giving that guy a lot more press, the Third Floor Wars. <laughs> I'm really, really getting tired of it. But, you know, when they mentioned Jason, you know, he, he I did not know this, but he has a, he's a, he used to be an attorney. He used to be a lawyer. He gave up being a lawyer to be kind of a full-time RPG designer, publisher, uh, writer. And one of the things he had mentioned was his passion for game mastery and specifically Brindlewood Bay and what he, how he wrote it because he had a, a testimonial where a woman who had been, I think running fifth edition, maybe, I don't know, but he said that, or, or maybe she was playing and wanted to start game mastering. And I don't think she had done it before or any any great length of time. But one of the things that she praised that game for specifically, which Jason was like, you know, flattered beyond belief, was how easy it was to run specifically. And he he is, I write a game because I have a bit, huge passion of game mastering and making it, I don't know if it's easy necessarily, but with a focus on that, which I think going back to, okay, you buy XYZ game and you read the game master section and some of it's 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 privy to what the game master is supposed to do in the game, right? Or it's, hey, at the beginning of the book, this is what a game looks like. GM, player, GM, player. Got it? Right? Like, okay, you should be set. And... You know, there are some third-party games and obviously, or third-party books that go into you know improving uh, or improvisation as and other GM type of techniques. But you know, it's a good point that you made, Harrigan, uh, about and, and Marco about the well, all of you did, but you know, re reading the book and not having how do you game master in general or this specific game or how do you 
consider things that may not even be rules oriented. Um, I think the gate, I think the, the G, the DM guide from fifth edition helps out quite a bit with that. There's lots of different examples. They actually write out like the different personalities at the table. So, you know, to get love or hate fifth edition, you know, there is though, there are those components within, within that book. Um, but then how much do you limit, you know, in putting it in the book? Because you got to talk about blades in the dark or, you know, powered by the apocalypse, insert rules and the game master's specific role in that particular game. Yeah. You know, there's a, it's pretty common for people to talk about when people come to fate or powered by the apocalypse or games like that, it's actually easier for people who are not experienced role players to, to learn those games and learn to run them because they don't have all these other habits they have to unlearn. Uh, where, you know, they, they give you these tools and people who just have these entrenched habits are like, no, no, this is where I ask for a perception check. And it's like, not in, not in this game, you don't. You know? Add your strength modifier to the damage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the things I personally, as a GM, really like is the philosophical things I gain from different game systems. Uh, you know, like the, the big one most people talk about is uh, gumshoe. Never hide the clues from the players. You know, don't, you know, like you, you learn this fairly on as a GM. Never put, you know, never put a fail. Like if you have a, if you have a check in front of the players, never put the rest of your plot behind that check. You know, if you're doing running a mystery, the players get the clues. The roles might be to glean more information about the clues or understand the clues they're looking at a little better. But the clue is still going to be there right in front of the player. And I use that in every single system I'm running or from Powered by the Apocalypse. Be a fan of the characters. Oh, my God. That was like, you know, whoa. When I realized that, when I learned that, I'm like, yes, that is what I need as a GM. I need to be a fan of characters and what they're doing in this story. If I don't have that, I can't run that game. Even and if you don't these... play Power by the Apocalypse, Ange, now you could take that. Right? Oh yeah, that's in all of my games. I it actually doesn't, it doesn't recently get you as far in a DCC final. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little Man, bit of a different situation. <laughs> yeah. uh, fantastic point, Ange. Uh, and I, this, the other one I have is, and this is where it, it actually it'll translate into something a little bit different here, but I like only roll when it's important and failure mm -hmm. is as interesting as success, right? That's not actually true in every system. And many, a couple of things you just mentioned, really knowing what kind of game your players want to have at the table and what you're trying to run. Like Delta green is so different than a pulp game. The pulp games like be a fan of the players. Sean, your frustration that one Star Wars game we played where we were like on a speeder chase and people were kind of hunkered down in the back of the speeder and you're like, come on, guys. People are like, I don't know, should I should I try to maybe jump on the other speeder bike? And you're like, God, yes, please jump on the speeder bike. Yes. Do it. Yes, Joe that, Swick, that, you should jump and you should jump fast yeah, and mean that's and, right. and embrace it. Yes. That's right. Yeah. But if you are running Delta Green, you are that's not the same game. You are not a fan of the characters. You are you are more the referee standing back, just sort of, you know, putting the facts out there, seeing how people react to them, portraying this tension 
in the world and this horror that's out there. So 90% of the time I am hundred percent with Ange. There's these, there's probably like six or seven like golden things you can pick up from the more modern systems and use them ev- absolutely everywhere. But there are a couple of games where it's like, pay attention because you know, you'll, you'll break the tone or things just won't mm-hmm. go the way you want. And it, the next level of this that we, we probably shouldn't get into right now is like the dice mechanic may have an expectation over how many times you're supposed to roll in a given session so you can hit sort of the averages and that sort of thing. And that will determine whether or not you should be throwing perception and athletics and blah, 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 like bam, bam, bam. Or are you only rolling three times in a session? And each roll is momentous as to what comes out of it. And the systems, you know, understanding RPG theory and that sort of thing will kind of get you there. And that's that's the main reason why, you know people who on on the for the podcast can't see behind me. I think I'll probably all four of us have a gigantic RPG library. Uh, <laughs> I read the things. I'm never going to play them all, but you absorb it and you internalize it and you figure out what the takeaways are just like what Andrew was talking about. You also covet it like a like a goblin. I covet yeah. my books. <laughs> Absolutely. But you then have to understand when to apply it because it's not universally universally applicable, right? That is very true. I I think one of the most important things you can do as a GM, as you you develop your skills, learn what types of games you enjoy running and what you're good at running. Yeah. You know, because those can be very different things from what you enjoy playing. Mm -hmm. Which gets back to just play more games, right? And and play different games too. Not just, you know, if you've played, um, if you've played, 5e i mean it's great if you try you know pathfinder or others but you know try something different right play play a story game you might you might like it you might hate it right? but it'll definitely expose you to different ideas and um right uh, so um you know play mostly crunchy games try a lightweight game and try a different genre than you normally play if you're all about mm-hmm. fantasy you know play a sci-fi game play a horror game um you'll 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 definitely learn something i guarantee it yeah it's funny uh how much you can learn from a different game and actually incorporate it into a different game right if it's just a fail forward type of component or be fans of the players it's it, you know it may not be inherently clear in the game that you're currently running and then you play in a different game at a convention and go, what? I, th- I could totally use that in my fifth edition game. And, you know, it, it might work. We have been here for an hour almost. I want to be sensitive to your time. So I just want to go around and we'll start with Ange, since we started with you at the top of the hour, and provide your top three pieces of of advice and not so much advice, but sticking to the topic at hand, top three things you would give a game master to improve their, their play or top resources that they could lean on. Uh, One internet access. So you can go find all of those blogs and discords and all of the resources that are all the YouTube videos. My God, is there a lot on YouTube? Um, there's there's stuff out there and i'm not even talking about actual plays like actual plays can also help you improve your game as a gm uh but also be aware that not everyone is matt mercer so it's okay if you can't do all the voices just be aware uh second thing um just be open 
to learning. Be open to new ideas and trying new things. It may not work, but if you try it, you can start seeing, you know, how it works, uh, you know, like how it may work, how you could probably change it. Uh, and just play and run more games. Do more because you will get better as you do it, hopefully. Mirko? Yeah, definitely some overlap there, but uh, I'm going to repeat, don't sweat it too much. Go out and play, and, and you'll get better um, as number one. The other one, um, fi find an RPG community or two and engage with them. Uh, I think that'll that'll be really uh, you know, fun and, and, and helpful. Um, and then maybe um, challenge yourself every once in a while. Right? Get out of your comfort zone a little bit and do something you haven't done before. Run a con game for the first time or run a virtual game if you've only played in person or, uh, you know, something like that, um, you know, uh, w within reason. Right. But I think all of those are good, good ways to stretch yourself a little bit. And, la and last but not least. Yes. So, so going last sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, basically, you know, all of the above, uh, especially, um, as I mentioned at the top, uh, playing in all these different games and whatnot, different a wide variety of experiences, all the stuff that we've, we've talked through in, at length at this point. Um, I will say this, um, you, there are some games you can choose that give great support to the GM, and I'll pick one. I'll pick Veasan. So Veasan is this um, Scandinavian horror game by Free League that has chapters on how to build mysteries. Mysteries, Mystery games are notoriously hard to run, right? Because if the players don't get the clue, it's what Ange was talking about before. It's why what's why Gumshoe was such a, uh, a revelation. If they don't get the clue, there's this, this just stop in the story where everything just gets gummed up and, you know, they, everything is just, is quite frankly, awful. But... Veasan gives you all these tools and a framework and phases of the game to understand, you know, how they first hear about the mystery, how they travel to the mystery site, what they learn from certain townsfolk and, you know, the confrontation of whatever the mysterious thing is. And it's like laid out like a playbook in front of you. It's a beautiful thing. So some of those games, you know, some games really kind of lay it out nicely. Um, the third thing I would say that we haven't talked, the one thing we haven't talked about is like open communication with your table. So that is session zero, that's safety tools, that is CATS, the whole concept, aim, tone, and subject matter, um, which I know the gauntlet, you mentioned Jason earlier, the gauntlet uses heavily, right? Those tools that sort of have the, everyone around the table, not just the GM sort of communicating are, are really powerful when it comes to understanding what you're trying, what the whole group wants to accomplish. So the GM can kind of shift left and right as they understand what people are after in the session. Uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say, Sean, I'll cheat and put number four in. It has to do with um, what Marco mentioned a minute ago. I, ha I know one game master um, who he's really good at improv, right? So he does he pre he prepares prep light games, does a lot of Forge in the Dark type stuff, and what he does to prepare, he watches videos, reads books, comics, etc. of the genre. So he like soaks himself in like if it's cyberpunk in that if it's military fantasy, you know, uh, he'll read that and, and get into that sort of stuff in the in the days before the game, just sort of inundating himself in those sorts of themes and those those images and that sort of thing. And he, he swears by it. And I've run in his game or played in his games and he's great at it, frankly. So it really works. Sorry, I cheated and added a fourth. Man. <laughs> it's all right. It's a good fourth. I want to keep that all in. Right. 
So thank you so much for joining GM Mastermind. Hopefully you've gleaned a little bit of insight from the brain trust on this episode. If you're interested in providing some feedback to the episode or what you may have as resources and, and tips for game masters, go ahead and write in to feedback at GM Mastermind. We'd be happy to hear from you. On behalf of the Brain Trust, thanks for tuning in. And remember, be a positive force in the tabletop RPG hobby. This show produced with help from the following members of the mind. Joe Swick, Zagrave, Mirko Froelich, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Polish Ogre, Larry Hollis, Hoos Carl, Harrigan, Farty McButterpants, Laramie Wall, Matthew Helsby, Aaron Ralia, Wayne Peacock, Ron Bishop, Ghost GM, and Old School DM. Hey, if you'd like to support the show, do me a favor. Subscribe. Tell somebody about it. We're just getting started, and that would go a long ways. I really appreciate it. And thank you to you, a member of the mind.